Good morning, good morning. The Gospel of Mark, and in chapter 12 this morning, our text will be found in verses 35 through verse 40. If you do not have a Bible, make sure you know there's one right up here for you. Take that as a gift. It is in the whole Bible that you will hear and know the whole truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. A beautiful, beautiful day that we have been blessed with today. I, I think about it. Church actually is defined, ecclesia, the word called out ones, defined by those who regularly observe the Lord's uh, table together and participate in believers' baptism. And today, we have an opportunity as a church to do both of those things. One of the delights of being a senior pastor is that when there is a baptism in April in the river, I can delegate that. So Aaron will be um, baptizing Luke. It is great to have Luke's family visiting with us. You have raised a wonderful young man, and we celebrate alongside of you this morning. Also, it is great to welcome, um, officially for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. John Heater with us, back from their honeymoon. Uh, gentlemen, John is learning what many of us know. It is not good for a man to be alone, and we understand the blessing of marriage. We rejoice with the two of you. I had... I had an amazing weekend where I was able to gather with all of the elders, other pastors, and the Vision 2020 team, and we were able to just tuck ourselves up into a beautiful home. It was opened up for us in the middle of the woods, and just spend Friday night and, and, and all day Saturday um, in prayer. Um, let me tell you this, that um, this is an amazing church, and God is doing some amazing things. I am blessed uh, to be surrounded by so many good and godly men. And let me, let me communicate um, that they love you. Um, and together, we, we pray for you. We love you. We know that God is um, going to continue to lead us in a really neat path in the months and the years to come. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be setting the bulk of May aside and be able to address uh, just where we are um, sensing the Holy Spirit's moving and how we continue to align ourselves according to His Word, um, His will, not ours. And uh, so we look forward to that time. I love this text. We need to just first and foremost bow our heads and ask for God to speak. Um, not only that we, would, that we would listen this morning, that's important, but we would learn this morning. That's That's... That's what I want to pray. Uh, pray with me, please. Lord, we come now into your presence and we are grateful uh, for all, all that you are. There is no one else like you. Thank you, Lord, as Matt reminded us and led us that we can come running to you and that as a, as a father will always welcome and receive a rebellious son that you, our Heavenly Father, receive us with arms wide open. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you, Lord, for each person, every single person that is here and for what you are doing in their hearts 
God, I would ask right now that we together would hear a word from you, an important word, and that we would not just hear um, this word, we'd not just listen to this word, but we would learn. How important is that? Father, I pray for this community you've called us. Beautiful, beautiful community we are blessed to live in, Lord, but there's so many people that are just, just lost. They need, they need others to come along and to love them and give them hope and the good news. And God, help us to, to do that and to do that well, to do that faithfully, to do that with energy and excitement that you give to us. Father, we thank you for rescuing us from ourselves and for redeeming us and adopting us into your own family. How we love you. Father, please use, please guard my mouth. Use me however you see fit. So the name of Jesus is exalted and that you are glorified above all else. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, it's, it's been a couple weeks, we know. We celebrate it. Easter appropriately, we stepped out of Mark for a moment, and now we return back to the series we've been, I think we've been it for a little while. Um, just by way of quick review, the timing of this, um, this is what's called Passion Week, this particular event um, between Sunday and Friday, Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and Friday when he was crucified, Passion Week, this is this is Wednesday of Passion Week. It seems like it's been Wednesday for a while because this has been a long, ongoing conversation Jesus has had while he's uh, teaching in the temple. We know that the Jewish religious leaders have done everything, everything possible to try to trick him in some way and, and get him to say something that would trap him, some tough subjects on fasting and on the Sabbath and marriage and divorce and, and, and taxes and the resurrection, but nothing has been working for them. Nothing. They can't do anything about it. They can't do anything about Jesus. All the while, we know that Jesus has continually dominated them in every single way. Not only has he dominated them in the temple, he, he, has, he has ticked them off. Everyone, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the entire Sanhedrin, they, they, just, they just hate Jesus. They're, they're tired in a, in, a, in, in a sense that Jesus has so consistently exposed them for the cancer that they are. Exposed their false doctrine, exposed their corruption, the confusion... It seems like everything that they say, there's a sense of blur to it. And then when Jesus speaks, he speaks with what? He speaks with accuracy. He speaks with relevancy. And he speaks with clarity. Every single time he opens his mouth, he speaks with piercing and powerful truth. It's all truth. Today in our text, in the Word of God, we will see that Jesus the Son of God, is again teaching. Why? Because there is much to be taught. Why? Because there is much to learn. And remember, there's no, there's, there, there's no more asking him questions. That time has ended. We saw that in the end of verse 34. Now, now Jesus, instead of the one being questioned, he now reverses roles, and Jesus is the one who begins to ask the questions. 
He moves in a sense from a defense to an offense and he launches in. Literally, he comes right at these people who have been listening to him. But the problem is what? They've not been learning. You know, you know as a pastor, one of my greatest fears is that we become really good listeners but really poor learners, that, that we hear a lot. You do hear a lot, I understand it. But my concern is, is that we walk out of here and we've, we've listened, but we've not learned, we've not implemented. These people are doing exactly the same. And, and, and so Jesus speaks with strong words and even stronger wisdom. And he touches on what I call two topics of utmost importance. Our text this morning actually divides very neatly into two portions or two subjects. I'll give them to you right away. The first one is what I call the priority of theological accuracy. And then secondly, the problem of hypocritical bigotry. And, and, and the idea here is what? Because there can be a lack of the first... Because with many people, particularly with these individuals that Jesus was speaking to, because there can be, what, a lack of theological accuracy, there can be a lot of, what, hypocritical bigotry. So what Jesus is speaking, and he's, he's what, he's telling them the same thing the Holy Spirit is telling you and I, we have got to get the first, and we've got to get rid of the second. The delight is, and what a rest on my heart and soul, is that whether or not you are a nine-year-old little girl that is here today, whether or not you are a 21-year-old college student, a a young man, whether or not you're a young mother, whether or not you're a 65-year-old grandfather, that the Word of God never returns void, that there's something here for every single one of us. Regardless if you are feeding on what is referred to as the milk of the word, first and foremost, or whether or not you are what? You are being nourished by the meat of the word. That's this book. It's, it's, it's never ending. It's nourishment for us. Number one, the priority of theological accuracy. Verses 35, 36, and 37. Let me direct your attention to that. You can follow along. As I read, and the word of God says this. And as Jesus taught in the temple, excuse me, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. Notice capital L. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Understand what's happening here first and foremost. Jesus begins this whole idea of understanding theological accuracy. What does Jesus do? He expounds upon the scriptures. He goes directly to the word of God. Think about what theology is, theo, God, the study of God, psychology, the study of the mind, biology, the study of life or living things. The idea here is what we've got to understand. If you want to to have the study of God, you've got to go to one place, the word of God. Careful with extra biblical additions that are telling you something that the word of God doesn't say. 
Our, our study of God must come from and be based in the word of God. That's what Jesus does. He expounds upon the scriptures. Speaking to religious leaders who, who they have recognized, okay, and they have got to admit, and they will admit that there's something unique about Jesus. They can't quite put their finger on. He is certainly different. They cannot question his powerful emphasis on very powerful ministry. He has demonstrated what? Power over disease. They've been following him around for three years. He's demonstrated power over death, raised Lazarus from the dead. This is word about town. He has demonstrated power over demons. So they recognize that he is unique, he is powerful, but they, 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 they would not or they could not come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ himself proclaimed repeatedly what? His, his proclamation was he was the son of God. They could not and they would not accept that. Instead, they, they think that their Messiah is going to be a, a man and man alone, not the God-man. In fact, they're still looking. I was speaking with someone just last week who was in Jerusalem and, and they were reminded that in Orthodox Judaism, they're still looking for the Messiah. They're still looking for the man who's going to come and rescue them, who's going to be what? From the line of David or a son of David. The interesting part is that they're looking for someone, just as these Jewish leaders were looking for someone who's not only of the line of David or a son of David, but they're looking for someone who is David-like. What do you mean David-like? First Samuel chapter 17, there's this little tiny shepherd boy. I think we know the story that David kills Goliath. That what? Someone David-like, a Messiah is going to, to, to kill us and free us from this giant enemy. They're still looking for someone to do that. Wait a minute, David was a man of great power and might and glory and had castles and had reign over an entire kingdom. And then there's Jesus. And we know the story of Jesus. What? He was born as a little baby in a manger. It doesn't seem very, very glorious. We, we, we have this idea that, that, that he was born in a manger because there was no room for him. They're not even expecting him. They're not looking for him. Jesus didn't come riding to Jerusalem with a flashing sword and, and white horse. He came on a, this lowly little donkey. And so when they saw this, like, we don't want that. We don't like that. We don't like it. We don't like him. There's still people. They're looking for the Messiah. So what does Jesus do? He turns the tables here and he takes the initiative. He's the one who starts asking the question. Understand as well that this is the last conversation, official conversation that he has with the Jewish leaders. Three years, there have been, there've been gnats buzzing around his head. And yet, yet, I read this week that this is not only the last conversation, this is the last invitation. Realize that Jesus... Regardless of how difficult these people have been, Jesus is still concerned about their soul. And he what? He invites them to be reminded who he is. Put your faith in me. Trust me. Believe me, Jesus knows, just like you and I know, anyone who rejects, please understand that God says what? Very clearly in Ezekiel chapter 18, he has no pleasure in the damnation of the wicked. God, God is not up there hoping that people will reject him and be separated in hell for all of eternity. That's not it. There's no pleasure here. Remember that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He stopped and he looked and it says, what? He saw the city 
and he wept. Tears streaming down his face. And I thought about that. Is that, is that what you do when you think about the friends, the neighbors that you live alongside of, the other students you study with? You realize that if something were to happen and they were to die and they were to be ushered into eternity, that having rejected Christ, they would spend forever and ever apart from. We are to weep for. We're to shed tears for. Jesus demonstrates this. He is concerned for them. Thus, he asks the question, why? How can a scribe say that the Christ, the Christ, he goes to third person, referring to himself is the son of David. And then he quotes King David himself in Psalm chapter 110, verse 1, which is interesting. The single most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament is right here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put enemies under your feet. This opens, this opens what is referred to as an absolutely foundational or fundamental understanding of, wait a minute, who is Jesus, really? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Christ? Just like Jesus is very concerned for the audience that he is speaking to. I am as equally concerned for every single one of you that are here today. Do you understand truly who the Christ is? And that you are to have as equal concern for every single person in your sphere of influence. You are to be concerned. You are to have compassion. You are to cry over the souls to make sure that every single person knows who Jesus is. It's very evident in the text that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the son of David, he is the son of David. He's in the line of David. We see this throughout the entire Old Testament. It's very, very clear. Second, second Samuel chapter 7 is this great promise of the Davidic covenant that says there will come a great son of David who will have an everlasting kingdom, the Messiah. Psalm 89, Amos 9, Micah 5, all talk about this. But Jesus is more than the son of David. He's a lot more. He's not just the son of David. He is the son of God. Do you realize what this means? Think about this for a moment. Not only is Jesus, the son of David. He is the Lord of David. And everyone esteemed David at this level. And and Jesus says, I am above him. Jesus is saying, you better get it right. You pause on this idea of like Lord, Lord of all, Lord over all. I would say that many people, I would say most people that you, you, you know, they can get, okay, baby Jesus, cute little baby in a manger, little Christmas card, and you have the little adorable, like there's this glow behind him. And we kind of get that. We get, in a sense, the, the meek and the humble Messiah, Mangled image pinned to a cross. 
But do you realize, do you realize this, and this is where we have to understand when it comes to the idea of Lord, that, that, that there is this one. Jesus himself declared, I will come again. Do, do you understand what this means? That this one, Son of God, will come again. And it will be totally, totally, totally different. He will come and in his arrival, he will execute justice on Dr. Erwin Lutzer says this and I quote God won't let us rebel forever. I think of, I don't know if this is the best picture, I think of a dog on a leash. Okay? But the dog's on a leash and he can run, he can do anything he wants until the end of the leash. That's it. You can't go further than that. In an idea right here, there's this, what? Freedom to do whatever you want to do. You can rebel to the nth degree only for so long. And Jesus, Jesus has been appointed God's judge of the world. And the Bible promises that one day he will return to call all of us to account for all of our actions and all of our words. Breathtaking. Terrifying. The very next chapter, in Mark chapter 13, we will, we will pause on this as we examine. It talks about what? They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Jesus said, I will come again. The Gospel of Matthew speaks in much more detail. Turn back with me a couple pages to Matthew and in chapter 5. Listen to this. This is Jesus in the same moment. He's, he's speaking and he gives a little bit more detail here. You and I need to know this. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 about this, this, this coming and what the expectations are of final judgment. Listen to this. Pick it up in verse, in verse 31. Matthew chapter 25 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all of the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and he'll place the sheep on his right but on the goats but the goats on the left Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is all for you. Listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Listen to this. And the king will answer him. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. There's a description here of what it looks like as a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in recognizing him in lordship. This is what? This is what the love 
of Christ looks like, not in order to get you to heaven. No, he says, I'm speaking to those on my right. I'm speaking to the sheep. This is what you've done. And this is what you will do. You can't help but see other people. And you realize that every action, every act will be made known, will be manifest, and will be judged. The, the, the most important to know is who Jesus is, God's son, savior of the world, and soon to be coming judge. It is the priority of theological accuracy or acuity. You've got to know this. There's a problem that exists. Secondly, it's called the, what I call the problem of hypocritical bigotry. Listen to this in, in Mark chapter 12. And in his teaching, notice both times he's the one authority. As he taught initially, 35. And in his teaching in 38, he said, beware of the scribes. Wait a minute, he's talking to the scribes. He says, beware of these guys. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Last Monday, my day off, I will purposely go slow. I stay in my bathrobe and my slippers and I, I walked out as I'll normally do with my coffee cup in hand in the morning to go get the mail at, at, at the mailbox and as people drive by and they kind of like, like, what are you still doing in your bathrobe? Give you this kind of weird look and it's my day off, I'm relaxing and it's interesting as I went back into the house and I, I begin to, to read and just begin to meditate on the text and it says, beware of people in long robes. I was like, oh, so that's why they just think I'm really, really weird. And there's this description here. See what's happening? See, see what's happening? Jesus initially begins by expounding the word of God. He goes directly to the truth. And what does he do after that? He exposes the false teachers. And he gives a warning here. Watch out. You've been on a trail before. You've been hiking. Okay, stay on the trail. Stay on the trail. And then you see this like bright red sign, danger, don't go here. And you, you, you do the same thing. And we like, look, whoa, like two steps to the left. All it takes is two steps to the left and you are in trouble. You are warned. There's a hazard ahead. There's a threat. Kids, don't eat this. It's going to kill you. It'll poison you. And there's, there's labels all over everything. There's danger lurking and looming. Jesus says, let, let me tell you something that you better watch out for. And he says very specifically, and he describes, you better watch out for people who are more concerned about their dress than about their doctrine. And he says, you better watch out for people who are walking around long Robes, these are, these are what is referred to as a stole, okay? And they were long, they have these blue tassels on the bottom. And the longer the robe, the more spiritual you were. And so they were like dragging on the grounds. You, you watch out for people who like to be seen in the marketplace. You, you watch out for people who like to have the best seats in the synagogue and places 
of honor at feasts. And what is interesting here is that if we examine our own hearts, it's not only those people that Jesus is speaking to, but I believe it's the Holy Spirit who speaks to our own heart that says, you know what? We like to look pretty good. We like to look pretty spiritual. Don't tell me, don't tell me a couple months ago when I got invited to a banquet and I was brought up to the table next to the head table. Don't tell me that I was like, hey, check out who's up here. Pete McCannon, manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, he is right next to me because I'm up here and we like that. We like for people to notice us and see us. Jesus, Lord of the entire universe, says you better watch out for people like that. And yet that, that exists in the depths of my own heart, of your own heart. Watch out for people who what, devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, drawing attention to themselves. This is talking about what? Ex- extortion that there would be scribes that supposedly would come along to assist the widow in her, in her dire situation. And in assisting her, they were planning to take advantage of her and to get, what, something from, from her for them so that they would even look more prominent within the community. There, there's a summary, in all honesty, it's pretty much all three of these are, are kind of saying exactly the same thing. You better be on guard. You better look, f- look out for anyone and everyone. We would use the term today, what? Who's a show-off? It's revealing what is in their hearts. Look out for show-offs. Listen to this definition. What's a show-off? One who makes a deliberate or pretentious display of one's abilities or accomplishments. Show-off, one who puts on an air, who swaggers or struts or strikes an attitude or postures. A person who is braggadocious or makes much of themselves. I was driving home from the office the other day. I'll go the back way and there's a guy, a, a farmer, he's got some peacocks. And one of the peacocks was out on the lawn and, and he had his full array of all of the, the feathers out. And cars were were parked alongside of the road taking pictures of the peacock. Do you think that the peacock like put his feathers in and ran away? No, 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 no. He's like, I am on display. It's a traffic jam because he wanted people to look at him. I think the exact same thing not, not only is prevalent in our world today, Tragically, I I think the exact same thing is prevalent in the local church of Jesus Christ today. And people say, yeah, I'll serve as long as you put me at the top. I'll serve as as long as I'm up front, as long as my name gets like in the bulletin. Then I'll serve. No, 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 no. Jesus says, you better watch out for those people. There ought to be a race there ought to be a race to the mop bucket to say, how can I serve? Because I, 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 I just want to offer. I just want to offer. I, just, I have to serve. I want to live for God's glory. 
How, how can I offer a cup of cold water to thirsty when he was talking about what? It's really not that difficult. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Just go help people. Exalt the name of Jesus and do it all for his glory. He'll, he'll do whatever he wants to do. Remove yourself. Confess how in our own hearts that constantly in our flesh we want, we want to strut and make much of. Jesus' conclusion, listen to this, his final word, his final word is what? They will receive a greater condemnation. Now, to my understanding, from what I read in the authority of Scripture, is that the condemning result of anyone who rejects Christ is the horror of hell that I, I, cannot, I cannot even fathom. I cannot fully grasp. And according to what we are seeing here, what we're reading here, what we're not just listening to, what we're learning about, is that the Lord over all, the Lord of all says what? According to what I see is that there is a select spot. There is a reserved place. There's the hottest part of hell reserved for those who try to use the guise of religion or religiosity. They try to what? They try to take advantage of others in the name of. And Jesus says there is nothing worse. There is nothing worse. And there will be no one who suffers more than those who do that. How, how we now need to examine how... How are you doing when it comes to this? Where are you right now when it comes to what I call the priority of theological accuracy or acuity? Where are you when it comes to this words? Like digging in, feeding on it, and hungry and thirsting after righteousness. Is it the, is it the casual five minutes in, in the morning and good, hopefully someone saw me and I don't have to do it now for a couple more days? Where are you when it comes to being a student, to, to searching and to digging deep into the richness and the depth and the mining the gold out? Where are you when it comes to the importance of the priority? Your study of who God is. Where, where are you when it comes to addressing the problem of hypocritical bigotry? that rests and abides in each one of our hearts. Are, are you contributing to it? Are you feeding it? I hope someone notices me. Parked right out front so everyone can see that I'm in church today. Are you contributing to it or are you combating the tendency in your own heart? Thankfully, the, the delight, and this is, this is the only message I have, the only message is that regardless of what exists deep within our own heart, is that God still created you in his image and has designed you and purposed you to live for his glory. But the problem is, is what? We can't get over ourselves. And so good news is offered that God says, I love you enough that I'm going to send my own son. And we get it, we get a glimpse of what Jesus did for us as we celebrate, commemorate the communion table. Before we look at 
that I want to read a couple verses, just a reminder in Isaiah chapter 53. Again, a, a text that many people have removed from Scripture because it's, it's too clear of the fact that it's Jesus. People who are still looking for the Messiah. Let's not read this. No, this is full truth. L- listen, listen to this. Surely he has borne Tim Boger's griefs and carried Tim Boger's sorrows. And you can put your name in there. He carried your grief, carried your sorrows. Yet I esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Listen to this, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. I love this. And with his wounds, we are healed. Healed. With what happened to Jesus as a reminder of what the, 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 the bread and the cup, a picture, a symbol of the body and the blood. So Jesus, because he knows that we what? We learn visually and we remember things. He, he took, he took a, a piece of bread and he showed it to his disciples. They were up in, in the upper room. They finished the meal and he took it. He showed it. He says, this is my body and, and he broke it. So this is what's going to happen to my body. He tore it in pieces. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this for you. He, he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. And he said, just as this is poured out, all of this is poured out. All of this, my blood is going to be poured out. And it was only his blood. Not yours, not mine. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming from afar and and says, Behold, behold the Lamb of God, the only one, the Lamb, the only one that is precious, the only one that never sinned. Every single one of us falls short. My little guy, uh, Ben and Cyrus, little guy, he's he's like, he's like this, he's this little. And he's already revealed a deceitful and a wicked heart. Already. Ask his mom and dad. He's done that repeatedly. See, every single, there's nothing in us. There's only one whose blood was worthy to be poured out and to be shed. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is exactly, this is, this is what is offered for you. And so I invite you to remember that Jesus Christ loved you enough to have his body torn and his blood poured out to rescue us from ourselves and offer the hope and the good news of eternal life. I'm going to invite the elders to come at this point um, to serve you. I, I love these men and they love you. They're going to serve you. They're going to serve you the bread first and we'll, we'll pray and we'll ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup and then they'll serve you the cup and may we be ever mindful the price that was paid, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of all, Lord over all. And he did this for you and for me.
pray with me? Lord, we just pause now uh, to remember what you have done for suffering on our behalf, being beaten and humiliated in the worst way. And as you endured that, even in complete and full perfection, never having done or said one thing that is wrong in the sight of his holy heavenly father. We, we thank you, Lord, that he endured that for us. We thank you now for these symbols, the elements of the communion table, the bread and the cup that remind us. And Lord, not only may partaking or participating in this now, not only would it remind us, but would it motivate us as you had compassion. May we have compassion. May we take the good news of the gospel. And may this be a reminder what you've done for us so we can offer the good news to others. We love you and we thank you for graciously and patiently loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, um, after he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and he said this. This is my body, which is for you. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
It says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Today is a special day in uh, the life of Luke. And so I invite you uh, on your way home, um, out to lunch, wherever you're heading, stop by the beach. Yes, Josh, it's a beach. As we celebrate Luke's um, baptism. Just stand with us, please, as we close. As we go out reflecting on what Christ has done, may we go out just singing, shouting, speaking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in his gospel.